and welcome to Church for the Cities podcast in Yuma, Arizona with lead pastor Tyrone P. Jones. Our mission is for people to encounter the reality and presence of God. For sermon videos and next steps, visit us at ctcfamily.com. Now join us for the message. I want to introduce a, a dear friend, um, the Woodward's pastor in Citizens Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Some of you may recall uh, Dustin and Mandy and the family being with us in July. Uh, this is the parents of Dustin and Mance. Pastor Kay, can you stand? Uh, we, we thank you for being here. We, we honor you. Pastor Galen and Kay have been in uh, Citizens Church for 40, 40 years, turned the church over a year and a half ago to Pastor Dustin, but they're still traveling, still ministering, still doing a wonderful job in the kingdom. Uh, Pastor Galen just published a book called A Matter of Time. It, it's a book on parenting. Uh, Yesterday, there was maybe 80 of us or so that were gathered for a seminar here where Pastor Galen taught. Uh, and I'm telling you, I've, I've, we've done a lots of different things in 28 years in this church. Some things have been very uh, just formative, like uh, when Pastor Bob McGregor was here teaching on, on uh, mental health issues. I, I'm going to tell you, though, I don't think there's ever been a seminar in 28 years that impacted me as much as Pastor Galen's teaching yesterday on parenting. It was absolutely outstanding and uh, and certainly an area that I think all of us need. I, I told Virginia, I, I'm so excited about this. We may start all over, see if we can get this right, see if we can get this right this this next go round. But, but, uh, but it was, it's just, <laughs> okay, she just too happy. Maybe that's a bad joke now. Now that's a bad joke. But, <laughs> but, uh, but you can still get the book, A Matter of Time. Pastor Galen will tell you about that. We have recorded those, uh, those sessions. I'm telling you, it is a worthy, worthy uh, investment. I want to introduce to you uh, my dear friend, great mentor, great man of God, Pastor Galen Woodward. Can you stand and receive him with a CTC welcome? Well, good morning. You may be seated. Church for the City. Wow, whoever came up with that name is a genius because the first time, there, there is the genius right there. There he is. The first time I heard the name of this church, I thought there is no better name for a church. I mean, there is clarity. It's the church for the city. I, I love it, and uh, it is amazing, and I love being here. Uh, Pastor Tyrone and Virginia. Uh, we love you guys. Uh, Y'all are so kind, so loving. And your pastor came and spoke at Citizen Church, our church, a while back, and did such an amazing job. And there was an instant connection. Uh, he and Ty came up after the message and did an interview that was uh, that was just uh, moving, and it was so good. And uh, you guys, I know you already know this, but you have an amazing leader. Uh, he is a great pastor, and you are very, very fortunate. And so, uh, you know, I've said this to you before, but it just feels like our two churches are blending together, working together. Uh, I feel like I'm in our church right now. I just feel like I'm at home with family, and I look forward to getting to know each and every one of you. And uh, I have loved my time being here. Yesterday was just uh, so enjoyable uh, being with all of you that attended that. You know, uh, I want to show you a picture of my family. 
And uh, we are expanding. Uh, we are multiplying like rabbits right now. It just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And uh, we have so much fun with our family. They are awesome, an awesome group of people. Uh, we have three boys. Uh, two are in full-time ministry. Uh, one is the doctor of pharmacy. So I like to say we have two pastors and one drug dealer. And so it just balances everything out. So when our pastors need some drugs, he'll take care of it. And so uh, they are the ones that inspired me to write A Matter of Time. And in this book, I don't know if there's ever been a greater need for us in the Christian community to rise up and to raise Christian leaders. Our children do not need to be like everyone else. We in our homes need to be raising leaders, influencers, as they rise up. And this world is in great need of sound spiritual leaders. In this book, and I'll just make this very, very quick, uh, what I have written about is I have given four foundational principles for parents, uh, how that, that they can truly be leaders in their home. And then I lay out five characteristics for you to implant into your children that will cause them to grow up and be generational leaders. And again, I hope this book can be a great help to you. Uh, the fastest, the uh, least expensive way to do that is just go to galenwoodward.org, and we can get that book to you immediately if you would like uh, to pick that up, and I think that you will find it uh, very, very intriguing. This morning, I'm going to speak from one of the chapters in the book. What I'm about to share with you is one of the most powerful biblical principles that you can add to your life. I've entitled this message today, The Lost Character Trait, and I'm going to speak on honor. Honor has absolutely disappeared in our nation, and honor is a major theme in the Word of God for a reason and for a purpose. We live in a culture of dishonor every single day on talk radio, cable networks, social media, every day. There are tax, slander, character assassinations. Somehow as a nation, we have, in a very short amount of time, that we have somehow justified hating anyone that we disagree with. And our children are sitting by and they're effectively learning from us that they can dishonor anyone who is in authority over them as long as they disagree with them or dislike them. It was about a year ago when I was writing this chapter on honor. Every Sunday morning after the service, I would go out into the atrium with all of our people after those three services. And I just mingled with people and I would ask just random people, hey, can you help me? I'm writing on honor, and I want to ask you a question. Can you tell me who deserves honor and who does not deserve honor? You would have thought I had just asked the most difficult question they had ever been asked. They looked down, they shuffled their feet, they stumbled over their words, and they could not answer the question. Let me ask you this. When you look into your past, Looking into the years behind you, 
Who stands out? Who do you remember? Well, I can tell you who you probably don't remember. You probably don't remember the names of the five past Miss Americas. You probably do not know the names of the past five Academy Award winners. You probably don't even know the names of the most valuable players in the National League. And it's amazing, people who accomplish great things in this world, how quickly we forget their names. But let me tell you who you do remember. You remember the person who believed in you when no one else did. You remember the person who helped you through a very difficult time in life. You remember the name of the person who led you to Christ. And why do you remember their names? Because those were the people that served you. Those are the people that honored you. And serving and honoring, it's synonymous. It's honor is esteem and it's to revere and it's to value someone. So when we think about who is it that we are to honor, the Bible lays out 10 people groups that we are to show honor to. And I want to show you what the Bible says. That here in the Bible, that we are to honor one another. We're to honor our parents, our children, our wives. We are to honor our husbands, the elderly, the widows. We are to honor elders, pastors, bosses, the emperor. I want you to notice that as you look at this list, there are no stipulations and there are no ifs tied to this. That this is a command that these are the people that we are to show honor to. Then Peter makes this shocking statement in 1 Peter 2.17. Listen to this. Show proper respect to everyone. Love the family of believers. Fear God and honor the emperor. Now, it seems odd, this last sentence, how that he throws in this last phrase. It seems like it comes out of nowhere and honor, even honor the emperor. Let me give you some historical background. When he made that statement, Nero was the emperor. Nero was a vicious, twisted man. He took great pleasure in putting people to death, but not only killing them, but through a long process of torture. He was a perverted madman. And it's unimaginable that Peter is standing in front of people like I'm standing in front of you. And on that day in the church, he says to them, and even honor the emperor. How would you feel sitting there listening to Peter make that statement? And your old mother had been dragged out of her house for no other reason than declaring that Jesus is Lord and God, and they drag her out of her house, nail her to a cross, pour tar all over her body, stand it up, set it on fire as a human torch to light one of Nero's drunken garden parties. And what Peter is telling that congregation seems to be so absurd, so unreasonable. Here in our nation, this past year or so, 
The United States presidency has never been more polarizing ever in our lifetime. When it comes to the president of the United States, it doesn't matter who it is. If it is President Bush, President Obama, President Trump, President Biden, you better believe that we all have the right to disagree and strongly disagree with their decisions and their policies and their moral standings. Oh, it's easy when we disagree to get into conversations and debates and that, that we can become so inflamed by what we believe that's in our hearts, and yet Peter is saying, be careful, be careful, believer, because that's the culture. Culture of hating is the culture of the world, but it's not the culture of the believer. Here's the mandate. The mandate that we're giving from the Word of God to honor all people regardless of their behavior. And that's a hard pill to swallow because it's easy to say, I would honor my father if he deserved to be honored. You know, I would honor my mother if she would change her ways, but I'm not going to honor her by the way that she is acting. We honor regardless of behavior. And here's the reason why. Because the person you are looking at, they have been formed and created and designed by the hand of God. When God created them in His own image, He then said, and I crown them with glory and with honor. We honor all people because we have the ability to push back the bad behavior, looking beyond the bad behavior of an individual and seeing deep inside that they at one time had been knitted together in their mother's womb by the hand of God who is fearfully and wonderfully made in the image of God. That's what we honor. So how do we restore honor? when it seems to be totally absent in our nation. And the only way that we can ever restore honor is if for you and myself to start it in our own homes. In Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 1, familiar verse of Scripture, children, obey your parents, obey, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right, honor, there's that word honor, honor your father and mother. And this passage lays out two aspects of leadership development for our children. Here it speaks of obedience, and most parents understand the importance of teaching their kids how to obey. We do a good job with that. But then the second part of this verse, honor, Rarely is honor ever taught in the home, ever taught to our children, because we do not understand honor. Here's the definition of obedience. Obedience is doing what someone tells us to do. Obedience is doing a task, following directions. 
You see, obedience is more mechanical. It's an act of the will. We may not want to do it, but we're following instructions. We're obeying, and we do it anyway. It's our will, doing what we are told to do. You see what happens, and we've watched this play out in our homes so many times. We've watched our kids walk through the house, and they are walking past unmade beds. They're stepping all over dirty clothes in the floor. They walk through the kitchen, and they see dishes piled up in the sink, and they pass by all of it thinking, I didn't make the mess, and it's not my responsibility. And that is true if you're solely focusing on obedience. But honor, it adds a deeper dimension to relationships. Here's the definition of honor. Honor, it's not an act of the will. It's an act of the heart. What honor is, it's treating people special. It's doing more than is expected. And when honor begins to flow through our family members, this is what it could look like. Maybe in your home, you have a schedule of where it's one of the kids' responsibility to do the dishes each night after dinner. Last night, it was the son's time, but tonight, it's the daughter's turn to do the dishes. She gets up from the table, she goes to the kitchen sink, and she starts washing dishes. Her brother, younger brother, gets up from the table. He walks behind her, and parents, we've seen this play out so many times. He walks in behind her, and he lets out that sarcastic laugh. He's kind of jabbing at her that she's stuck doing the dishes. He doesn't have to do them. He's agitating her, and then she swings around, and they get into a yelling match, and it creates frustration and chaos in the home. When honor has been taught in the home and children begin to pick it up, it could look something like this. She gets up, she's doing the dishes. The brother is sitting at the table, he gets up. He walks over to the sink and he says to his sister, scoot over. It's not my turn to do the dishes, but I want to help you do it so you can do it in half the time and then we can go watch a movie together. Because what honor is, it is people-based, and it comes from the heart. Honor changes everything. You see, obedience focuses on doing a task. Honor focuses on people. And here is a great way that we can start establishing honor in our homes in such an easy way. Have you ever put together a family culture statement? Have you ever sat down long enough, maybe 15, 20 minutes at the kitchen table, and just write out a statement? And here is our family culture statement. We believe being a Woodward is special. We're not just out for ourselves. We work as a team. When a job needs to be done, the Woodward's team pulls together. We work hard to clean up the house, to do yard work, to share in any needs and responsibilities because we are a team. 
the moment that is written and the moment it is posted where they are able to see it, a standard, a new standard has been set in your home. It's a standard of identity. This is who we are as a family. What they know immediately is that we living in this house, we are a team that works together. When you establish this, all of a sudden they know that name-calling, belittling, agitating, hitting, and screaming is never, ever, ever permitted because it's a violation of who we are as a family. And say it clearly and say it often that we as a family, we respect and we honor one another, and it will begin to flow into the hearts of your children. Moms and dads, don't ever fall into the deception of believing that your kids will grow out of bad behavior because they will not grow out of bad behavior. They will grow deeper into it and more entrenched into it, and they will carry that into adulthood. They will carry it into their marriage. They will carry it into their children. And it's the reason why that we must be mindful of teaching honor in our homes. You know, teaching honor can be so easy. Let me give you another way of how to implement this into your home. Just an easy little way. Have you ever experienced this? Coming home from work, you've been away for eight hours, haven't seen your family, you walk in the front door, you see no one, you start walking through the house and you pass by a family member who's watching television. You pass by another family member on their phone. You pass by another family member and they're sitting there doing homework and you're lucky to get a grunt out of anyone. And you wonder, does anyone even care that I'm home? Well, we can learn a lot from the family dog because when I come home and I walk through the front door, it doesn't matter where our dog is, she comes running and barking and leaping and so excited that I'm home. At least somebody's excited. Now, I know we can kind of overdo that, our dog can, because just a few moments later, I can grab a sack of trash, take it out the front door, take it out to the street, put it in the dumpster, and I've only been gone a few moments, but the moment I open that door, she comes running and jumping and barking and so excited that I've walked in that door again. What if we put together a standard in our home, a new standard, that when someone has been away all day at school or at work, that all family members acknowledge the person who walks in the door. At least we might stand, we might give them a hug, we might say, how was your day? Glad you're home. And when you implement that, and you have teenagers in your home, oh, they're going to roll their eyes. They're going to mock that. Those teenagers, they're going to make that so awkward because that's what teenagers do. They just make everything awkward. <laughs> but let me tell you, once that is set, and that really begins to operate in your home, 
all of a sudden, there is a mentality shift that takes place. And there's, and it begins to rip, it shifts, and it starts ripping the me mentality out of us that it's not just about me, 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 but, but it begins to focus on others. And it changes the heart of our children. You see, what we really need to do is to teach our children to be second-mile people. This is something that we should talk to them about. In our home, we're second-mile people. What I mean by that is that one of the marvels of Rome was the vast highways that they had built. Rome had built 50,000 miles of roads. Every time they, they overtook a territory or a new city, they would build roads from that area all the way back to Rome. And it's where we get that old saying, all roads lead to Rome, because it was absolute fact. On these road systems, the Romans would put a white stone every mile as a marker. And the travelers traveling down the road would know how far they had traveled. There was a new Roman law that had been put in place. And that Roman citizens traveling could ask a non-citizen to carry their heavy load, their heavy backpack, for one mile, but one mile only. And the Jewish people despised it. Every time the Jewish people got out of the road to travel, there would be a Roman who would hand them their backpack, hand them a heavy load. They've got their own things. Now they're putting on the Roman's load, and they had to go a mile. And the moment they got to the white marker, it had been one mile. They weren't taking one step further. They dropped it in the dirt and left it behind. They hated it. One day, Jesus was preaching on a hillside. People had gathered all over the, the grassy hillside listening to him speak, and it was known as the Sermon on the Mount. In Matthew 5 and verse 41, Jesus says, if anyone fo forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. He's addressing the Roman law. And when the people hear him say that, they know what he's talking about. He's, he's talking about the very thing that, that they despised and they, they resented. And Jesus is saying, do it and then do even more. But what Jesus was talking about was developing a mindset that separates us from everyone else in the world. What Jesus was talking about was the first mile is the mile of obedience, but the second mile is the mile of honor. The first mile is the action of common people. The second mile is the action of a rare few, a mindset a mindset that is different. And when you begin to think differently, acting differently, 
people begin to notice, and all of a sudden doors begin to open up to you that have never been opened because you stand out in the crowd and that people begin to take notice of you above everyone else. In 2 Samuel, David had just killed Goliath, a 17-year-old kid, and instantly he became a national hero. They brought David to Jerusalem and invited him now to live in the palace. David was young, he was handsome, he was a warrior, and he did what no other warrior had ever done. And the people sang his praises. That was all fine for a while. But King Saul in the palace saw that the people loved David more than they loved him. And he was envious, jealous. It ate him alive. He became so angry and the hatred grew so much for David that he actually tried to kill David on two different occasions. Finally, King Saul was so angry that he was going to kill David, and he chased David out of the palace into the wilderness, and then King Saul took some of his men, and they hunted David in the wilderness like an animal. He wanted him dead. It was some time after that, King Saul had to go to battle. He's there with his men fighting the Philistines, his arch enemy. It was on Mount Gilbo where in this battle, King Saul, he dies on the battlefield. The Philistines behead him, and they fasten his headless body on a wall as it swings in the wind, and they mock him, and they mock Israel. Now, word comes back to Jerusalem. Their king is dead. They're horrified. The word comes to the palace. King Saul is dead. And panic strikes. Because the Philistines are a brutal, cruel people. And they know there's a possibility of them being invaded. And people are panicking, grabbing things, and running. And they're running from the palace. They're going to hide. And in the palace, there was a five-year-old boy who was the grandson of King Saul, and his name is Mephibosheth. And the nanny taking care of him picks him up, and she starts running with everyone else. And as she's running down the long stone steps, she trips and falls with the child, and the crowd behind her stampede her, and the five-year-old boy is so injured that he will never walk again. Now, many years later, David is the king of Israel living in the palace. He's walking through the palace and through all of the hallways, remembering all of this back years ago when he was so young. And his mind drifts back, and he asks the question, what ever happened to Saul's five-year-old grandson? Whatever happened to him? And the word went out, and people began to try to find him. Finally, someone came back to David and said, we located him. He's still alive. 
He lives in a little community called Lodabar, which literally means the land of nothing. It was a small community of extreme, extreme poverty. And here, Mephibosheth had lost his inheritance, his heritage, future kingship, his land, his wealth. He had lost everything. David summoned him to come to the palace. David's men went to where he lived and picked him up and carried him to the palace. And now they put him on the floor in front of David as David is sitting on his throne, and he's trembling in fear because he's heard the stories of his grandfather. He's heard the stories of how that he wanted to kill David, and he knew he was about to be executed. David rises off the throne and walks toward Mephibosheth, sees him trembling, and he says to him, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For the sake of your father and for the sake of your grandfather, I honor you. Your grandfather, the king of this nation, because of him, I honor you. And today, I restore everything that you have lost. I restore it all. And then he says to him, and you, Mephibosheth, will eat at the king's table for the rest of your life. What a story. What a story to sit down on the edge of your child's bed as you tell that story. And you come to the end and you ask them, who is your Mephibosheth? Is it the one at school that always sits off in the cafeteria by themselves that no one ever includes? Is it that one that's so shy that they have no friends? Is it the one that everybody in the school makes fun of? Can you push all of those things to the side and look a little deeper and see that even that one has been designed in the image of the living God? Can you, in that cafeteria, can you, in that classroom, restore to them what they have lost by showing them honor when everyone else shows them dishonor? I want to go back to the question that I started with. Who deserves honor and who does not deserve honor? And again, the answer is every person that God has so carefully designed and created and breathed his own breath into that body. That's who we honor. Can you imagine if we would only take one small little principle, the principle of honor in the Bible, and if everyone in the world just did nothing else but this one principle, 
that everyone honored everyone else. Can you imagine the utopia we would live in? You know, we may not be able to restore honor in the world. This church, our church in Albuquerque, we may not be big enough to change the world. But for me and for you, we can restore it in our homes. You know, when we walk out of here on Sunday afternoons, we get up on Monday mornings, wow, it's so easy to tap the social media app, see all the things that light you up, Man, you want to you wanna jump involved in that argument and that fight and that debate. Before your finger touches the app, think honor. 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 Because I'm a born-again believer who believes in the power of the Word knowing that honor restores what has been lost. If you feel like your family has, has lost, it's in a, in a place of loss, just slowly begin to bring honor, talk about honor, honoring one another. It won't be long before everything is restored. I'd like to ask everyone to bow your heads for a moment. I want to pray over you. As your heads are bowed, you've taken the time today for you that have come here to get up, get dressed, drive to church. Why would we ever take that kind of energy and walk out of this building the same? What if today we took this simple principle and burned it so into our heart and so into our mind that we would operate it fully and let the blessings of God flow in our life and our family? Also, I want to say that as you listen to this today and you see the power of God's Word and His protection and His guidance, how many of you today Maybe you've walked into this building. How many of you today that are watching online and wherever you are right now watching this? Maybe you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and God. Oh, you, you know about Him. You may have been in church a lot, but, but you've never come to that place of full surrender and commitment of saying, now He's my God and I'm going to follow Him, follow His principles. I'm going to do my best. Realize that in the future, I'm going to stumble and I'm going to fall many, many times. But my decision is, Jesus is my King. He's my Lord. He's my God. And I'm going to follow Him. How many in this auditorium, and even if you're watching in your own home, you can raise your hand. But how many of you would say, it's time for me to jump fully in? Not to dabble with this, but just jump in. 
How many of you would like to raise a hand right now and say, Pastor, pray for me in this ending prayer that I might receive Christ. As there are hands that are going up, right now God is speaking to you. You can put it right back down. Thank you. Thank you. Well, today's your day. For you that are watching online, today's your day. You see, all you have to do is your own prayer. It's not my prayer. It's your prayer that you invite him in. It's an invitation. Lord, forgive me of what I've done. And then you just begin to pray. Let me pray with you. You can follow me. Father, first of all, I ask that honor would flow in this place. Father, I pray that we're changed by the word of God today. Changed. God will, we're not honoring again because of behavior honoring them because of you. Father, help us to let this flow in our homes. Father, I'm asking for every person who raised a hand to receive you. Lord, this is a powerful moment for them. Life-changing. It's eternal. Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I know I've done wrong. I ask that you would come into my heart, my life, Lord, I want to follow you with everything that I have, that I am making you the king of my life. Thank you for entering in. Thank you for who you are. And Lord, I love you with all of my heart. Guide me in all of my ways. And I thank you, Lord, for that in Jesus' name. I'd like to ask everyone to stand if you would. Our prayer team is coming. And let's worship together for a moment. Can we say amen for the word of God? Wonderful truth that we want to certainly impart in our life. We're so grateful for Pastor Galen. Yeah, prayer team is here. We're going to close out as we normally do with a, with a song of worship. Uh, this dear team is here to meet you for whatever your needs may be. Maybe you got a tough decision you need to make and just want somebody to pray with you or agree with you on the decision that you are are making. Maybe you need healing. Maybe um, you've come to Christ. You've made a decision to come to Christ and you want to yoke with someone that can help you through the process of growth and want prayer as you start this journey. Uh, or maybe you want to be baptized. Maybe you need to be filled with the Spirit. This team is here, here for you. You can also touch base with the connect table on the way out if there's any follow-up that's needed on next steps. But our heart's desire for you, whatever your need is, we want to be able to join with you and just know that our God is able. And as we leave here, we want to go out. Every message that we hear on Sunday morning, I pray there's something that you got a hold of that becomes a part of your life that you can live out loud and other people will be infected by the goodness of God. And we can certainly be salt and light in our community. Well, Father, I want to thank you for this time that we've been together in the house of the Lord. I pray as we leave here and go to our various places that you indeed will be with us. Lord, we want to be salt. We want to be light. We pray that you would watch over us, that you would keep us, that your face would be turned to us, that you would smile upon us, that you would be gracious to us, and that you would give us peace. In Christ's name we pray. May the people of God say amen.